All right, here we are. Welcome to V'ger, please. A uh, live stream edition. Uh, I named it Trek Deep Dives, but of course, uh, Peter had better idea right away. So, well, it's the way it is. Uh, my name is Joseph. I'm Peter. And thank you to those of you who are joining us. Um, you know, Peter and I, uh, we really enjoy doing the podcast and talking for an hour, sometimes an hour and 20 or an hour and 30 minutes about given episodes of, of Voyager. But sometimes we also uh, want to explore more in depth the shit that we would be able to go on for hours more and talk to our audience, see what their hot takes are and explore our nerdery in even greater depth because an hour long podcast about episodes from a 23 year old television show just isn't fucking enough for us. So we've got a few ideas here. Hopefully as people filter in, start watching, uh, they'll have their own. We look forward to it. Um, we are going to still do an end of season live stream. Like we did for season one, where we give our season awards away. One of the seasonal rips. I, uh, I, I still want to put a, a contender out there for one award, though, to start us off. All because right, let's hear it. My, my favorite award that, that we did was Weakest Shit. Mm. Because I well think deserved. Voyager has a lot of weak shit in it. What was uh, your weakest shit for last season? What was my weakest shit for last season? It had to be something from the cloud, because that was the most miserable-ass episode we watched. My weakest shit, and I still stand by it, was uh, the end of Jatral, where Janeway throws in the most half-ass <laughs> effort to save the entire population of uh, Talaxian Moon possible before they just scoot off after a good four minutes of trying. And like, and, and it almost worked. That they like had the guy half materialized. They all saw it almost worked. They're like, eh, this isn't really going to work out for us. We're going to have to go right and save millions of people who were eradicated by a, you know, space nuke. Mm -hmm. uh, but the weakest shit this season is got to be from Twisted when Harry Kim is sitting in the Primogen Council meeting on the holodeck and says, who would want to attack us? What have we possibly done in the Delta Quadrant that someone would be angry? Like every single alien race that they have run into has beef with them. All of them. Every single one. Everyone they've met is going to want to kill them. Yep. What part? Of, what fucking show have you been on, Harry? It's uh, the most obvious answer to the most painful question possible. I I'm curious if if uh, threshold or delay of threshold will will bring us to a point where um, there's you know a new, something that can beat that that moment. But that's my contender so far. I just needed to share that. So this... Harry Kim is my weakest shit. <laughs> oh, so you're not you're not doing that scene in that question specifically. You're going right for the throat. Hey, uh, I think we got a tech problem here, and that it's only showing me instead of whoever's currently talking. Okay, hold on one second. Thank you. We'll see if we can fix that. Yeah. How about now? I'm not seeing your face on the. Well, I don't know if I'm even seeing the current thing on. Uh... YouTube here. Sorry, guys. A little bit of technical difficulties here. I think it. I, I think okay. that fixed. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Sorry about that. I mean, I thought that. I. I think anyone would mind staring at Peter on I his would. laptop. I'm tired of this. <laughs> um. Uh, so we have a few uh, uh, 
topics to start with. Um, I think the one you were really pumped about doing was irredeemable evil women in Seska. Like you had a hot take already for that, and I'm ready to absorb it if you're ready to provide it. It's a big deal for me. Um, you know, equality in film and stuff is a big deal, and uh, TV shows and stuff like that. And <clears throat> you know, they especially with like Black Panther, right? Mm -hmm. Trying to put out more minorities in the mainstream, inclusiveness, and all that other stuff. And to me, it's not about where can you fit a minority protagonist in it's where can you be strong enough and bold enough to put a minority antagonist in because okay. in my mind uh that's where the real you know the real meat on the bone is in any sort of work it's the villain who drives the plot and really makes things happen and there's only so far you can go with any given protagonist i personally find uh you know prince t'challa or whatever his name was Black Panther, very boring. Agreed. And I, I completely agree. Killmonger was more entertaining. I'd even go as far as to say that uh, um, uh, the Spider-Man movie, Homecoming, was incredibly elevated by the fact that they created a villain for that that was very compelling. And Absolutely. More, more compelling than Parker. I mean, if we're going to talk about Marvel for a minute here, I think that's been the Achilles heel for the Marvel um, Cinematic Universe has been very, very weak villains with the exception of, like, Loki. Um, right. But obviously they've put a lot of attention into it and I think it's grown a lot. But so when we get into the realm of women in film and women as villains, it is extremely rare to find a attractive female villain who is evil to the end instead of, you know, falling under the spell of the good guys uh, in the third act and, you know, redeeming themselves and doing this uh, heel face switch and, you know, coming out of all of it. Uh, one of the good guys now. 2017 was a great year for this because you had uh, Helena from Thor Ragnarok, who was an attractive, just irredeemably bad villain. I would um, like to point out that you have once again mispronounced something. Uh, you said Helena. I? It's Hella. I, I, preview for Thursday. I finally call Peter out on the fact he can never pronounce anything correctly uh, and that he infects me with this this evil contagion of bad pronunciation of names and not remembering things, uh, but continue. Go ahead. Uh, I don't care about MCU ultimately. So whatever, but um, <laughs> so 2017 is, Oh, I'm sorry. There's a step further to this with this woman thing too, is not only is it hard to have an irredeemable attractive woman, but to actually be so bold as to kill one uh, by the end of it is even more rare. True. Um, so again, 2017, you had uh, the character from Thor Ragnarok, and then you had Love from um, Blade Runner 2049. Oof, and, yeah, she was she was a cold bitch. Yeah, I mean, give give me anybody else that you can think of out there that is a evil, irredeemable, competent female villain, uh, or any that you know end up dying on the evil throne instead of ultimately switching back over to good. Or is evil for like? evil reasons not like i was spurned and i'm just angry like there's like some some uh, compelling competent evil yeah and and seska is definitely like she's a spy she's out for herself she mm -hmm. wants to survive and she's gonna do the things that a trained obsidian order agent feel is appropriate to do that and not gonna give a fuck yeah she's uh, about anything else so seeing her in this role from you know 
what would we say, 20-some years ago at this point? 23 years ago, yeah. Uh, real big deal, and it's been really refreshing, and I was very excited to see her move the character in the direction that they have with it because it's just such a rare commodity out there, and I think it's a pretty big honor uh, for the showrunners to give a very strong actress like her um, to to run with and, and do some real justice to the world of villainy. I let me segue into Star Trek villains kind of in general. Um, when I think back of Berman era Trek, persistent um, antagonists are relatively rare. Uh, DS9 has the most of that. Galdukat, the uh, Wayun, and and the female changeling, and uh, you look at TNG. I mean, there was basically just one. Um, the uh, Commander Tomalak. Mm-hmm. Um, like it's it, it's Star Trek doesn't typically do a lot of that. You know, like DS Nine was where it happened. Didn't happen on Enterprise. Um, didn't happen on TNG. And as far as Voyager is concerned, as you were going to see, it's kind of hit or miss. Kind of, it's there. There's a little bit there, especially the Borg. Let me. Well, you know, you got the Borg Queen. Who's yeah, obviously a movie property. If she shows up, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to spoil anything else, but they use her as a character in Voyager. I will throw um, Sela, Tasha Yar's half Romulan daughter, on the oh, pile. Yeah. yeah, she has like a few episodes. And let's throw the uh, Duras sisters in there. And even though they're not going to be, you know, conventionally attractive, it's obviously, you know, good looking women under all the prosthetics. And as far as. <laughs> Klingons go, I think they're pretty attractive. But they're also irredeemably evil. You mean the Duras sisters that destroyed the Enterprise D? Yeah, you know, and, and that's a pretty big feather in their cap. That's seven years of of gods and space monsters and whatever else out trying to blow up the, the Enterprise D. And in the end, it's uh, two ladies with uh, cleavage bro- cutouts in their that, armor that, that took them down. And they broke down like terrible bird of prey that can't mm-hmm. stay cloaked mm-hmm. yeah. destroy the enterprise d yeah is that still is that still sting you on a personal level that they took out the enterprise d no what always made me mad about the destruction of the enterprise d was that uh troy just slammed the saucer section into <laughs> that planet was and i know that there's very clear like flow pattern of how to bring the saucer down i've got the technical manual it's, it's packed away somewhere otherwise i'd go right to the page and hold it up for the camera for everybody to see. It's been documented. She did not follow the instructions. It's, you let the lady drive. Yeah. You get what you deserve. Uh, so, <laughs> I can't take it back either. I can't edit that out. Mm-mm. So uh, we've got notes here. I'm looking over at my other screen because I'm looking at the notes we wrote and stuff that we want to talk about. And you've got here, Peter, what would New Jack Neelix do? W-W-N-J-N. <laughs> Please yeah. explain. Please explain. Uh, I don't know what it was like. God, when did that even come out? Those little bracelets. I want to say it was high school for me. So pre-2000, they had little bracelets with uh, lettering on it. It said WWJD, which was what would Jesus do, Uh, which is boring. I think the bigger, the real question is what would new Jack Neelix do? And I think maybe for my birthday or Christmas, I'll have Casey make me a little little bangle that has WWNJ. ND and uh I think that'll really boost my street crack rock. Oh yeah. Selling business and yeah. 
really boosts that supplemental income. You, you have to start to think of like, how would some of the other situations Voyager dealt with been handled differently if New Jack Neelix had made a more consistent appearance? Like, what if that coat didn't just come out for crack rot runs, but, you know, came out on the regular? Like, when they go, when they're dealing with, uh, you know, the, the Vidians, how would have, how would have New Jack Neelix dealt with getting his lungs stolen? What have you gotten, what have you gotten handy with, a, with his Glock? Like, how would that have played out? I Since think we're running low on um, rules of acquisition for the Ferengi, maybe I need to make like New Jack Neelix's Guide to the Streets. And the first <laughs> rule of New Jack Neelix will be get paid, followed by, I don't know, fuck bitches. Or... I... Maybe I'll do that if uh, things get slow at work. I'll make the, the Bible to New Jack Neelix. It, it, that is, you know, kidding aside, that... It, he should have been like that character. Like Neelix should have been the quote unquote street smart Delta quadrant trader. That would have been so much more compelling than this, this annoying space snarf snarf, this filthy space cat with his unlicensed hobo kitchen. Like somebody who's out there on the fringe and is like, you pampered guys do not understand what it's like surviving on the ass end of the Delta quadrant. And you gotta be hard out here to survive and could have been like this voice that, was somewhat opposed to the Federation way of doing business, but it's like slowly won over by their optimism. Instead, we get like a little bit of initial cowardice and then he's just a company man from that point forward. Well, here's a question. If we want to put some depth when probably there's no depth there to be had, was the glimpse of new Jack Neelix we got the real Neelix and the, uh, the singing, dancing space cat that we get on a regular basis, like a public front just so he can continue to enjoy his free ride on the most lavish ship in the Delta Quadrant. Because keep in mind, you know, pretty early in our relationship with Neelix, he's pulling phasers out of nowhere, you know, <laughs> causing unneeded duress with the Kazon and shooting up their water supply before they beam out. Like, he has a very large capacity to be a real POS, and I like it. Speaking of um, Neelix, the actor who I've got, had the pleasure of sitting through the panel at dragon con i just caught him he's got a little role on uh, better call saul no kidding yeah he's a lawyer and eating a salad in most of his scenes which i thought was very reminiscent of neil <laughs> well i mean if only he's got like what's it angorian like tub root or whatever it just like tastes like ass mm -hmm. it's like well, one piece of his cooking continuity is he's got this root lenora root it yes. fucking puts in everything. It's like terrible. It, Not to be confused with the apple that makes your dick fall off. Or the cheese that kills everybody. Yeah. That, that caused everyone to be sterilized after they heated the ship so that they could not die. You had a call for questions out there and uh, Jason chimed in with one asking you about merch, which obviously <laughs> we are certainly not in the stage to do yet, but I was thinking like cheeky ideas and I think uh, some good merch for us would be uh, the stickers they hang up in uh, bathrooms that says employees must wash hands saying, uh, you know, Talaxians are not to wash hands before returning to work or something <laughs> about safety gloves and food prep areas are forbidden. I'm just, or it's like you must wash hands, especially you Talaxian. But he does. I mean, I think it's in it's it's a part of the ship's culture is everybody's just OK with Neelix touching his face and his mouth and his nose and then like going back into mixing mashed potatoes by hand. 
God, it's just so nasty now that you, ever since you first pointed it out, I'm looking for it in every scene. Stevie and I, it's like, oh, it's a food prep scene. Let's see what happens. Yeah. Where's, where are those fingers go? Down. Oh, God. Speaking of, time. go ahead. I think uh, now we've got two of our conversation topics out on the table. If anybody out in our uh, the chat on this has anything you'd like to see us steer the conversation into, go ahead and throw it up in chat. We'll be happy to bounce oh, yeah. a little bit. Uh, it, it, please participate. There's at least eight or nine of you, which is you know 50% higher than our list live stream. So not much. And um, uh, let us know what you think, what you'd like to talk about, what whatever your ideas are for discussion topics. We'd love to see that. I do have something that I forgot to include in our notes that I wanted to mention. So this is the most Star Trek Stevie's ever watched, like consistently. Um, we've we've watched intermittent episodes of of uh, original series, TNG, and that sort of thing. But you know, she's been along on the journey with me for almost every episode of Voyager so far. And she has gone down – she's a rabbit hole person, and she has found one. She she found the mother load of bad Star Trek fan fiction. Ooh, that's a very deep and very, very wide hole. Yes, it is. Especially when you start to read erotic Vulcan fan fiction. Because it's like once you start to see the bad stuff, you want to see how bad it can really get. And one of her great joys in life has been to find like the worst fan fiction and then share it with me because we're married and I can't get away. So she can like, she can infect me with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You can see. Yeah. Yeah. You can see it right there. You see it in her eyes. Um, and yeah, she found some winners of self insert erotic Vulcan fan fiction. Oh, that God. she, and she then started to relate to me in detail while we're in the car. So I have just no escape whatsoever. There's nothing I can do. And it's, it's fucking bad, dude. Can you read an excerpt here or what? Well, I, I didn't want to do that, but I, I will say that I think I knew that fic was going to be bad. Um, when the writer didn't understand that the 24th century, uh, didn't have poor people in it anymore. Mm-hmm. That's like she, she, she was pointing out all like all the shitty dialogue and and the way that you know like this person is is supposed to be portrayed as as a total Mary Sue, which of course started with Star Trek fan fiction, all this other stuff. But my hang up was that uh, she was from she was basically from the wrong side of the streets because she grew up poor. And I was like, well, then the, this person doesn't understand Star Trek. There's no money in the 24th century. Deny. We're done here. I was trying to escape. I was trying to get out of the conversation. It's too late. No, she wanted to tell me more. Give me I'm a, a broken man now, Peter. Because uh, I've got something that'll be very relevant to this conversation we're having here. This is a crappy. Um, this is a crappy lower resolution version of it, but it's something I've got hanging up at my office at work on the wall because it's, uh, it's that important and that going to hit square in in the wheelhouse of what kind of danger zone stevie's trying to crawl into here okay oh, remove any web addresses and try it again why is it not letting me post this thing um do you have screen share i can we do that is that yeah. a thing that can happen 
All right. Well, it should be a world my hangouts. Illegal pornography you guys are about to see here. <coughs> uh, Q and A showcase screen share application window. This is some compelling radio. Yeah, this, this is, is really good, and it's going to be even better for everybody who's in the uh, the 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 podcast. Listen to this on Thursday. All right, here we go. Is that coming up correctly? <laughs> oh yeah, it is. So that's a a, a rundown of uh, the geek hierarchy and all the bad things you can run into there. And you want to go ahead and read the the worst thing, the furthest down on the list. People who write erotic Star Trek. Uh, oh God, it keeps going away every time I start talking. So you'll have to read it, Peter. I'll go ahead and read it for you guys. People who write erotic versions of Star Trek where all the characters are furries, like Kirk is an ocelot or something, and then they put a furry version of themselves as the star of the story. That is surprisingly close to what she found. Like, uh, you know, the the it's it's like this Vulcan who keeps staring at this woman's ass, and then there's like all this dialogue about uh, like the the pond far. Oh, she's Stevie really got into the pond far. Like she read like the memory alpha, the memory beta, and the memory gamma on the pond far. Memory gamma. <laughs> memory gamma is the wiki for Star Trek fan fiction. Well, that needs to be burned down with fire right now. If anybody <laughs> out there has any work on on memory gamma, uh, I'm sorry for any significant others that you are inhabiting a house with because that that's vicious. Uh, Jackie asked us where could our Cardassian Holloway win, and it never left our hearts, Jackie. I want to be clear. We mm -hmm. we mourn for the loss of Cardassian Holloway, which, of course, Jack spoiled for us is not actually a Cardassian Holloway. It's actually Star Trek V Holloway. But it's Cardassian Holloway in our hearts. Uh, let's see here. There's such awful things on the internet. Can you share these sites with the loyal fans that they should be avoiding? Uh, uh, as far as like places not to to go if you want to avoid fan fiction, <laughs> like, uh, I'm gonna tell hard. you right now. I I couldn't even tell you where I would want to go to find slash fiction if I I mean other than Google or you know it's funny because Bing Microsoft's product is always fighting to try and get uh, more shares in that search space so. Things that Google a long time ago said, no, we're going to block these things from hitting um, hits, specifically porn. Bing just embraces with both arms. Uh, <laughs> it just pulls you know, full clips of porn right up in there. It's, it's a very good porn search engine. I, I can tell you from personal experience. But um, <laughs> I'm guessing they've probably got a very robust slash fic well that they draw from on that as well. Yeah, so, I mean, from fanfiction.net to Tumblr, I mean, it's everywhere, dude. You, you do, just don't go on the internet if you don't want to into it. Literally, the, the original fanfiction was Star Trek fanfiction. It's kind of where the whole cottage industry started. The term Mary Sue comes from in Star Trek fanfiction, I think from the 70s. Um, so it's a dark path to go down, and the fact that Stevie has started to go down, it is uh, given... Yeah, but going back to that, I lost weight not because of eating better or working out, but because of the sheer terror I live in 
um, has just caused that much stress in my life. It's like bulimia. She just reads you this stuff and you throw up and it's I just start vomiting, just wildly vomiting. Um, what else do we got here? So uh, the prime directive. So right. we've hit on this a lot. Go ahead and, and intro your idea here. I think that the prime directive issue that I keep running into and that we keep running into, it's similar to, uh, you know, the force and the Jedi. Like, what is the force? What are the Jedi? What is Jedi like behavior? How does the force work exactly? You start looking at like role playing games like the old uh, D6 um, product that West End Games had released back in the 80s for Star Wars, uh, where, you know, uh, or maybe it was the D21 where mild feats of telekinetics to open and close doors like basically sacrifice hit points and all the stuff that's yeah, like if you if you hold the, the West End. if you if you hold the mechanical system up to the movies you're like well how is uh obi-wan kenobi not completely passed out uh after you know just a day of being a jedi these rigid mechanical systems these rigid rules do not hold up when you start filling in the stories uh, that you are telling. And I think it's because the greatest resource document that all these starship captains and the shows can really revolve around at times was never really written out. There's not an actual prime directive out there where they can, you know, show writers can sit down and say, all right, well, technically, you know, this is the way this should play out here. And the steadfast belief that all these characters should have, you know, here it is, it's uniform and everybody's on the same page. It's just this vague thing that they can, you know, bring up in a plot as that episode finds it convenient. And I think if you're going to have a a science fiction or a fantasy show that is going to have some sort of a overriding document that touches all aspects of this show's plots, I think you'd be best served by just sitting down and hashing that thing out and making sure that you understood it inside and out, and then. You know, you've got this device to run all these legal court episodes and all the other stuff it comes into instead of the half-ass hodgepodge that, you know, we see so often out of Star Trek. I think part of the problem with how it is it came to be the way that it is, is that one group of writers probably did hash it out that way and had it in their series Bible that way. Mm-hmm. And the next group of writers took that very same information and then just interpreted it differently. And then we see the the impact of that. Like, what is the prime directive? It's not interfering in the progress of other cultures, right? Sometimes. And what does that mean? Mm-hmm. Uh, that means something entirely different to Picard than it does to Janeway. It means something entirely to the writers of TNG than it does to the writers of Voyager. Um, it. I, I remember freaking... Uh, 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 Bill Shatner himself got in an argument uh, with uh, um, who's the guy uh, Bill Maher <laughs> over the Prime Directive. I watched it. I was like, "What it meant?" Uh, because Bill Maher thought it was you know simply never helping anybody, and then Shatner had to correct him to say, "No, it's not that you can't render aid; it's that you can't interfere with the natural progress." Like he just rattled off this immediate like super high high-level Trek nerd explanation of why Bill Maher had it incorrect, which shouldn't surprise me. I guess that good on Bill. Bill, that Bill knows, you know, knows that. But um, everybody can interpret the same idea just a little bit differently on what is interference. There's a whole episode about of Enterprise where they 
try to, I guess, explore the genesis of that rule of why the prime directive came to be. Um, and it only made it worse in my opinion. So they never figure this out on any Star Trek show in a way that is consistent across all of Trek. They try to apply a certain interpretation of it within the show, but in Voyager specifically, they never actually manage to find an interpretation that sticks. I want to, while we're talking about prime directive in relation to Voyager, you know, obviously we're very harsh towards um, Janeway for what she did in caretaker and, and whatever, but how much of a stickler she is for following it, especially in situations like uh, what's the one we just watched where I couldn't wreck. Oh, the, the Q, you know, that uh, she's not going to deliver a, um, uh, ruling in favor of the continuum to keep Winnie the Q from being able to kill himself, even though it would have been, you know, an easy ride home for her crew. What was that? Was that a prime directive issue though? I think that was just a straight moral choice situation. I think that was a little different. She wasn't wanting to. Okay, fair enough. But yeah, but she has invoked the prime directive a lot. And then I was going back and watching some old TNG and uh, what is it? Is it Times Squared where they've got uh, Max Headroom? And he's the scientist who has uh, come back to observe the uh, Enterprise as it had to deal with some planet's <laughs> gravity situation. Remember this one? Oh, yeah, yeah. That was supposed to be Robin Williams. I actually I just read about that, that too, yeah. Yeah. Um, it's, it's an episode I remember fondly. But in that episode, even, you know, Picard points out that, you know, he swore to uphold the Prime Directive. And that he has on numerous occasions willfully disobeyed it because it was the right thing to do. And I thought that was a very powerful line in it. Interestingly enough, that entire episode is written by Rick Berman. So, I mean, that's really the holy gospel if, uh, if you mm -hmm. were to take that out of an episode. And if uh, Picard is really going to be our exemplar for what a Starfleet captain should be, it's that, it's that consciousness, uh, that self-aware instinct that this document at times needs to be disregarded for the greater good in whatever form it's going to take in that moment and be disregarded. And I think that puts even more kind of resentment on my shoulders towards uh, a lot of the times Janeway calls that in like the time and again, which <laughs> so the Star Trek ship posting group that we're in on Facebook, right? Yes. Yes. Uh, and I did see that Jason successfully talked one person to potentially giving us a shot. So, dude, if you're out there or anybody else from the yes, show, thank you, you. Yeah. Uh, and, and thank you, Jason, for shilling us on there because <laughs> there's only so far. Uh, well, I don't I don't think you have any limits, but certainly I have a threshold. I have no shame. I'll sh I, I take my cues from Matt Slayer. Like, don't be don't be ashamed to shill your podcast wherever you possibly can. Mm -hmm. Uh, but, uh, you know, Jason Clark, he he went to where no man gone before. I to completely the forgot why I brought that up. Oh, oh, some other guy's like, hey, you know, I just started watching uh, Voyager for the first time. And here's some points. And I was like, oh, man, I should really throw our name in the hat because I think this would be a good companion as he starts watching these episodes. And I saw episode, you know, his second point on this list of thoughts was time and again was a great episode. And I really loved this. I'm like, Ooh, maybe yeah. we're not going to be a good fit for you because I think that's one of the ones we... We poop on the hardest. Yes, we do. <laughs> I think deservedly so. Just to return back to what you were saying about the Prime Directive, though. Um, 
I think that the lack of consistency is what bothers me. Not that Janeway has a specific interpretation that might be different than Picard's or an understanding is different than Picard's. I think that'd be interesting if she did. Cisco clearly did. Cisco out and out was willing to do whatever it took to preserve lives in the Alpha Quadrant. He didn't give a fuck. Mm-hmm. If that if that meant manipulating the Romulans into into a, a bloody war where millions, if not billions, of their people would die for the greater good, then he he did it, and he didn't care. Um, that made him an interesting character, and he had a whole evolution that brought him to that point. Awesome. Um, Janeway could have been someone who like immediately disregarded the prime directive to save the Ocompans, because we find out she's deeply compassionate towards other alien races. Maybe she has a kind of an existential problem with the prime directive that she thinks that there's a lot more of that can be done that honors and respects the idea that you're not trying to like uplift races. But if you reach a certain technological threshold and you start to be a danger to yourselves, why not intervene and help? Um, Which is actually something that you see sometimes discussed throughout uh, other Trek uh, uh, series. They could have done that, but they don't because then they return to the idea that you know, my cat behind me is my wife tries to corral him. Uh, <laughs> sorry, I guess I hope you guys like cats. Um, or it could have been that she was just a real stickler and she just had this moment of compassion. And she regrets it, but now she stranded her, her crew and now she's she doesn't know what to do and she has to guilt. work through yeah I work through guilt about it. Um, there's no consistency. She's one moment, fuck the prime directive, let's save these people. The other moment is under no circumstances can we break it, even if there's an obviously a good reason for us to do so to help these people. It's not one or the other. It's just whatever the writers decide for that episode. And it I, fucking sucks. Again, I think, you know, the, a big part of this too is just there isn't that clear document. And I think if anybody out there is an aspiring sci fi writer and you're going to have a Bible that it gets referenced consistently in your property just take the time write that bible out so any debates to its finer details can be uh, legitimate and uniform from encounter to encounter so here's the question let's be that writer let us try to conceive of the prime directive in a way that is the the most applicable both from the idea of what if the Federation was a real thing and they had to have a rule like that, and also what would work for TV? Like what would be a good rule that would create compelling TV storylines? Is this a conversation we want to have now or is this something we should move to the group and text format and give people a chance to 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 discuss and, and flesh this thing out? Because that's a very big question to ask, I think. What would you not do? What, what would you be your biggest no-no? I think my biggest no-no would be the idea that just because a civilization has not yet discovered warp drive, it can't be contacted and it can't be assisted in any way. Um, it, we see, you know, like there there are, uh, what was it? It's like the third episode. It was time and again. I'm sorry. Um where they, they go to the candy corn tragedy planet mm-hmm. and they're using the super dangerous form of power and they might all murder themselves on accident. And the prime directive essentially suggests that the Federation can't help, can't be like, Hey, what's up guys? 
listen, uh, you're going to blow yourselves up. We don't want you to do that because you seem like you might be cool dudes. So how about we help you figure out something else? By the way, there are people in space. Also, your outfits are fucking terrible. The worst. Like, yeah, the, the fucking worst. So we're, we're not actually up. here really to tell you that you're using um, death power. We, in addition to boldly going where no one has ever gone before, uh, are intergalactic fashion police. And you guys, this is like a death penalty. <laughs> your like whoever designed... out, your, dis your discount Quanta outfits are offending the galaxy. <laughs> we are going to require you to surrender the person who made these outfits. And we are going to transport them directly into our newly repurposed holodeck torture hell where he will burn for the rest of his life slowly in a plasma fire uh for what he has done to you people that'd be my number one thing not to do it's like that's that's such a stupid rule and it makes the federation seem like they have no compassion like you have to reach an arbitrary level of technological development before these space super advanced space peoples will bother to help you and for all of the lectures about the compassion of humanity and how humanity makes the galaxy a better place, the fact that they have that fucking rule is stupid. So you're saying it would be okay to initiate first contact out of compassion from time to time? Or should the Federation just act as an unseen hand shaping or... Oh, no. Tell them. They're all about free will. You know, if step in, if it looks like they're about to do something that's going to destroy themselves and be like, just, hey, don't do it. <laughs> like, so is this, is any part of that coming from like, uh, remember that movie, The Medicine Man with Sean Connery, where they find a not. cure to cancer? There's a cure to cancer in the rainforest and uh, some young researchers have to go in and find the old researcher, which is Sean Connery. He's like, uh, you know, been integrated into this tribal society for a while. And he's got all these really cool new medicines that are just natural derivatives but at the end deforestation destroys the only place where this particular cure grows and they lose all of it you know maybe the maybe these civilizations that are on the brink of a disaster an unforeseen disaster maybe they've got something legitimately good to add to you know the galactic community and whether it's on a regular timeline where they're able to achieve warp speed and make first contact on their own or the federation stepping in saying hey look you know you guys are really keen and we'd like you around. Also, I guess your big part of this is pre-Dominion War Federation policy versus uh, after Dominion War policy. Where, oh, yeah. And really the entire Borg threat directive where it's like, mm, we got to back off the scientific uh, loftiness and start getting into like, you know, wartime prep mode because shit's out there and we're going to need all the help we can get. I mean, that's part of the plot of Insurrection. It's the beginning of Insurrection, right? That they've gotten so pressed from fighting the Dominion and the Borg that they accept some race into the Federation that's barely able to uh, to create warp ships. I mean, what say, was that was that the were they before the Vidians or after the Vidians? I would have been after the Vidians were introduced because that movie didn't happen until after First Contact. First contact didn't happen until the, I want to say, fifth or sixth season, maybe the middle of the fifth season. Actually, I think I called out one of these episodes. I had read the star date, put it in canon right up against uh, Insurrection. Gener it was uh, 
one of the ones we've already watched was the same date as Generations. Mm, that's right. Yeah. Back. Yeah. So we are long before on our journey they would get to Insurrection because Insurrection I think happens during the seventh season of DS9, and they're about in the third or fourth season of DS9 where we are now. So. Jack has an excellent comment out here in the uh, section. Let me go ahead and call out. You know, had TNG not monkeyed with the first warp flight recursively violating the prime directive on ourselves we would be we would all be uh on the wrong side of the prime directive and i think he's referring to uh first contact uh the movie the tng movie i mean he's absolutely correct that's a, a violation of the prime directive can be very relative mm -hmm. i mean you, can, you are interfering with the timeline but you're interfering with someone else interfering with the timeline which made it so that was actually the original timeline, you know, it's that whole uh, temporal paradox s stuff at work. But um, I think there's a case to be made for not getting involved in races that aren't going to be able to deal with or comprehend the idea of spacefaring aliens all over the place. Let me ask you like, a question real quick. I, this just popped in my mind. If the board can go back in time, why would they do it right over Earth's atmosphere where all of the Federation starships are watching them go back in time? Why wouldn't they just go back in time like in their space and then fly over and nuke Earth? I I, 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 I created headcanon to explain why, which is that uh, the technology that allows them to travel through time can only be done like on that, that tiny sphere ship and that tiny sphere ship doesn't have the capacity to travel all the way from the Delta Quadrant to Earth. So they had to take a cube to get there and then launch the auxiliary vessel because it's shorter range. Because of however their time technology works, it doesn't have like the transwarp drive or something like that. Um, like that there's some technological reason as to why. Because otherwise you're absolutely correct. There's no reason why... The Federation would ever exist after the first time they resist the Borg because clearly they would just travel back in time to when they were, they were Stone Age people and and mess with it. So it's kind of the same argument you have to come up with for uh, Terminator, like, well, just go back in time and kill the first caveman or whatever. And this is this is why place. time manipulation plots are Terrible. difficult to do correctly yeah. because you create these problems for yourself with the paradoxes that they create of like, well, if I have the technology to do that, why don't I just do this in a smarter way? Well, then you wouldn't have a movie and what fun would that <laughs> fucking be? Then we wouldn't have cool zero G fights on the saucer section with Worf going at people with, with Batleth. yeah. batlets. It's good. It's being metal as fuck. It's awesome. Star Trek would be a much less dope place without stupid time travel rules. What is the best use of a time plot in Star Trek? Hmm. What's yours? I I, I was going to say uh, uh, City on the Edge of Forever from TOS. The uh, Guardian of forever and going back in time to Edith Keeler pre-World War II. That's the most effective use of time travel in Star Trek by far to me. It's, it's also got basically, basically the first one. Let's see what else is a good uh, time travel episode out there. Uh, I seem to have uh, very fond memories of the one where they find Data's head in a cave and they have to go back in time and meet Mark Twain. Time's arrow. 
I can't speak to the entirety of that episode, but uh, where they finding your own head in a cave because of time travel shenanigans was a really cool way to create a cliffhanger for the end of that episode. All good things was an excellent time travel episode. I know you don't want to hear it, uh, but uh, the discovery episode with Harry Mudd, where Captain Lorca gets murdered about 80 times, I thought that was entertaining. I actually thought that was the only episode of Discovery that felt like Star Trek. It was like the, the, yeah. That, the that Mud episode was very self-contained and a very Star Trek plot to it. You know, like the whole timeline reset plot idea. Like that was the only episode of Discovery that felt like Star Trek to me. So I did appeal to me I, a lot on that one too was uh, the video game feel that like uh, I'm going to kill all these people in the Skyrim city. There's got to be a way to do it. And I will reload this quick save as many times as it takes to find the magic murder path. Uh, we've got some ideas from chat. Uh, Jackie wants us to know that but the episode with the flute, the Picard's adventure with the... God, what was the name of that? Those the people. Inner Light? The Inner Light. Yes. Can we count that as time travel? Ooh. Because it was done, I would say yes, superficially, very much yes. You're reliving past events that have already taken place, and then effectively traveling back towards the future. Uh, you know, times. I'm sorry, inner lights. Just kind of like one of those cheap buttons you can use just to win any argument because it was just such a good. I'm sorry, what am I even thinking of? I'm gonna have to say unequivocally, my my favorite um, Star Trek time plot is going to be yesterday's Enterprise. Oh yeah. Ah, oh, that's good. That's a good one. It's the best, man. I was going through watching it with uh, my wife, and when the Ambassador Class C starts going through the temporal anomaly, and they do the camera warp, and all of a sudden the bridge gets dark, and the uh, collars come up on the uniforms, and everybody's packing mm -hmm. a phaser, and boom, there's Yar, and it's just like dark-ass shit Federation timeline. I mean, I got... I'm getting goosebumps again, man. It was just... <laughs> It was too good. Uh, I have to go. Yeah, uh, yesterday's Enterprise, one hundred percent. That I, I still would put it behind <laughs> City on the Edge of Forever. Oh God! Hey, Stevie, uh, would you find out for us if there's a a, a fan fiction no. a Vulcan fan fiction called Picard's Flute? No, please don't. The flute My is childhood. His penis. No, <laughs> Peter oh. doesn't want you to do this. It's just to be clear. Well, it's too late now. Oh, yeah, it's too late. She's looking for it. You're, you're fucked now, man. Too late as in uh, all the skeevy slash fix sites uh, close at 8 o'clock on the internet. 8 o'clock Eastern. She has to wait until tomorrow. <laughs> it's on it. There's an Urban Dictionary. Page, so. oh, oh, you're in trouble, dude. If <laughs> it's an Urban Dictionary, then it's legit. Let's hear it. But uh, as much as yesterday's Enterprise is great, I still am sticking with City on the Edge of Forever. It's a, there's a possible time paradox and, you know, it, it's a very small story and it becomes a very big story and Kirk is left with a terrible choice at the end. Like, it, it's got a symmetry to it that's beautiful. But Yesterday's Enterprise is a, is a good second choice, particularly because of Picard's eventual realization of what's going on and how that plays out. Yes, yes, darling. So he uses the flute in a couple of bad, horrible fanfics, but there is not one actually named Picard's flute. Good. Wonder... There is a god. <laughs> we don't know how he uses it. 
He might use it in the same way that Bill Clinton did. You know, beware. You're not out of the woods yet. Can we can we uh, can we please have somebody out there like cover Picard playing the flute with the jazz flute from Archer from Anchorman, please? <laughs> Some sort of like little video. Or someone is, he starts to pick it up and is real mournful, or, or if you're real really quiet, good. and then all of a sudden it's just the jazz flute interlude from Anchorman. Yeah, I like that. Or if you're really good, like Photoshop the head of Picard over um, the over uh, Will Ferrell's body in that scene, just so that it's like the moving scene, but it's Picard's head, so it's like him playing it. It seems like this would ruin <laughs> Peter's day, so I like it. Mm -hmm. I like it. Uh, so I think, yeah, there, there's some really good time travel uh, episodes out there. Um, and then there's all the Voyager ones. Uh, we've got a couple other votes, which I, I think are worthy of mentioning here in the chat. Um, we've got uh, Far Beyond the Stars in DS9. Uh, is that actually time travel? I agree with you, uh, Mike. That is not. That is uh, sort of an alternate dimension, not really time travel. Um, I will say to uh, Truman... Voyager has one good time travel plot. It's probably its two best episodes. You know what one I'm talking about. Uh, Peter, you may have heard of it. It's called The Year of Hell. Yeah, we, we talked about that briefly because that's one of the ones I'd caught off and it seemed conceptually really cool and a great kind of micro-examination of why, why you know, the, the forced ramrod approach of, you know, if, if you don't get it, Right this time, just go back a second, try, try again. There's a lot going on with that whole plot. That I would consider that the Voyager movie. I guess would be the best way to describe it. Mm -hmm. It's a it's a great two part story, and it's it's an effective time story because it talks about time travel in a very meta way. That, like you said, explores why the things that we think of of why not just do it this way might not work which is pretty cool how they go in depth on that. And then you know, Kirkwood Smith is the villain. He's nothing kind of like having Clarence Boddicker as your bad guy in Star Trek. Just leave. <laughs> exactly. I'm going to have that ready for a fucking sound effect when we do that shit. You know I like it. it. Um, talking about technology and stuff as it's cropped up along the way. Something I've thought a couple of times about, and especially, you know, in the discussions with uh, the prime directive and in, in contact with uh, pre-warp civilizations and, and avoiding first contact situations. How many problems? Well, A, if Janeway wanted to create a cloaking device for the ship, do you think they would be able to do it? I mean, they've got uh, they've got replicators and they have to have very intricate details on how these cloaks work i mean couldn't if they really wanted just build a uh, a basic romulan cloaking device for voyager and you know stab off roughly two-thirds of all the plots that they encounter plots being terrible uh disasters like what are the kazan going to do against a, a a cloak you're absolutely right i never thought of that but yeah i mean <laughs> Wow. So, yeah, they should be able to do that, you would think, that a cloaking device, given that it's pretty old technology, you know, mm -hmm. you're talking about technology that's a century old. Yes. At that point. 
um, that they would be able to recreate some kind of cloaking device. The only thing that restrains the Federation in using them are treaties that they've signed. Um, so what would prevent Voyager from being on the ass in a Delta Quadrant be like, we got to improvise if we're going to get home. We don't have a treaty with any of these fucking people. We've never wow. encountered them before. So let's that would have be been cloaked. the perfect conversation to have in alliances. And that's the episode we just watched where um, Chakotay and the Maquis convince uh, Janeway to start considering going into alliances with the Kazon. And of course, they go with the Trabe instead. But if your goal is to go from point A to point B with as little firefights as possible, I think there should have been a real serious discussion because, yeah, what, what do you got? A treaty keeping you from doing it. And uh, so I think at the end of it, you can take uh, Janeway out of the treaty areas, but you can't take the treaties out of Janeway. I, it would have been at least interesting to introduce the idea and what the response would have been. I guess really the answer to that is because it would be bad TV. Well, let's you know, do you want Voyager to stumble into shit all the time, so you're just what's, not even going to bother. What's the right way to do it? I would say to have them, you know, try and use a cloak and uh, to fly through someone's zone, and now they are able to detect you, and they see a cloaked warship from next door that already has a bad rep blowing <laughs> yeah, okay. through, and they're like, "Hey, we know you're there, and it looks like you're on a stealth run to go nuke our, um, nuke our homeworld with your." Cardassian super smart torpedo gun and uh, next door is right and fuck you and then they'll be like oh wait this does look really shady we shouldn't be using this because it's technology for whatever reason we can't perfect and we're going to back off it but I think that would have been the right argument for the Maquis to have is look you don't want to you know pair up with these guys let's use all these dirty tricks we know from the Alpha Quadrant and uh, make it go yeah I completely I, I buy that as an explanation of how they could have explored not to do it um, at the same time, they could have developed as like a tactical option. They don't have to be running silent all the time, but if they get into scrapes and they don't want to fight, mm -hmm. nothing quite like being invisible and then being like, all right, we're out of here. Peace. There you go. Oh, look, it's, look, it's the Vidians. Fuck those guys. <laughs> Let's go. Like, you know, like, oh, I don't want to get my fucking uh, liver ripped out of my body. So I guess we'll just be invisible to the organ thieves and we'll, we'll leave. Um, good point by Jack there. Aside from treaties, weren't there some health side effects? Running a cloak for 70 years might not be a good idea. Well, you know, Jack Jack is keyed into medical issues, and I understand <laughs> they have that. I, I don't think that... I believe ever, I saw a commercial that very specifically said that prolonged use to Romulan-style cloaking devices has been clinically proven to lead to mesothelioma. <laughs> And if you've been the subject of uh, one of these cloaking device incidents that you should call this lawyer. I, that's actually really fucking funny. Is yeah. that like something you saw like as a YouTube clip? I just made that up in my head. Oh. With some help from Jack's health concern thing in there. But I'm maybe sorry, I, can, I killed that joke dead. I apologize. That that can be our, uh, our advertisement reel for other oh, podcasts. Yes. Uh, advertisement for punitive damages for Mesosuite. The M word. You can't uh, even repeat it now. I've done that to you. It's a hard one. It's a big one. Uh, if your cloak lasts for more than four hours, call a doctor. <laughs> <laughs> That's why the, you know, the cloaking device ruins everybody's boner. 
And uh, when you're out stuck in the middle of the Delta Quadrant with nothing but uh, Tom Paris's uh, fuck farm, uh, that's no bueno. No burner, no bueno. Speaking of Tom Paris's fuck farm, I have a few more hot takes. We're almost to an hour already, so mm. we may we may leave leave with this topic. But one thing that they they never do talk about in much depth aside from those first couple first season episodes is this is a small ship. There's only 140 people on it. There's not a lot to do. And we already know the 24th century is a pretty libertine place when it comes to people's sexual mores, you know, Mm -hmm. Um, there should be a lot more like pairing up, you know, babies being born, you know, results of fucking, basically. And there just aren't. Like, they never really go down these, this road of, like, the consequences of this small well, amount of people it, cohabitating for that long. You just said it. Going down. You can't get, you can't get pregnant from mouth babies. <laughs> Jane Wayne Chakotay put a strict, uh, se- was it, is that second base? Second base rule? Yeah. yeah. Third base sends you to the brig. And and that's a you know you you commit treason you steal technology stern talking to you steal shuttlecraft go on a suicide run you get put on report you shove the first officer or you go to third base to the Delaney sisters and your or ass is going to someone in the back of the head with a pipe okay or murder <laughs> or murder penetration is as bad as murder on Voyager. I mean, I, I completely understand that there's the reason why they 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 don't go down the road too explicitly is because it's a family show. Very true, uh, Calberth. But um, I think that there was still room to explore it in a family-friendly way of the, the consequences of people pairing off and maybe there's not someone for everyone and isolation. They talk – they do an episode of this on Enterprise of all shows. They, they, you go back, you go forward in time to a version of the ship where essentially that happened. Uh, it's, I don't want to go too deep into down that rabbit hole, but I think that they could have done more of that or at least showed like what it would have been like to be on the ship and just be bored. Like the, they, they hit on this idea that Tom's going to set up a gambling ring on, on replicator rations because there's suddenly currency on the ship. Right. That's the hell I want to talk about. That's my talking points. Like, what a great, you know, and it obviously the the replicator discussion is something that I followed very closely. But really, just stop and think about it. Replicator rations aren't just like here's some food you want. I mean, as we saw in Kess's birthday episode, it's anything you want. You want a, a gold watch. You want a diamond ring. You want uh, anything. Like the Federation is filthy rich, right? Because anybody can have anything anytime they want it. Replicators and transporters give everybody just the most luxurious life possible. They all get bored with it and you don't see people flash and stuff. But at its core, replicator rations are are magical wishes. And he's created a lottery for magical wishes to have whatever his heart could possibly desire. It, I mean, they, they, they have so many places they could have gone down with. There's currency. There's a limited amount of magical space juice that you're used to having a limited amount of to be comfortable. 
you obviously have none of your personal possessions that you left in the Alpha Quadrant, and you probably never see them again. There could have been more trading, more bartering, more personal interactions, more consequences of people setting up a you know black market, something. I don't know, like, or just the idea that people are bored and they need something to do, and they need something to focus on, and like, cause it, 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 they don't really go down those roads very much except to give themselves an excuse to do stupid holodeck episodes. The worst ones in all of Star Trek. The Fairhaven episodes. Peter, I know I know we're we obviously have um a threshold on the docket for you and I we get together once you guys are settled in and all that stuff and, and really like treat that one with the 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 poop carpet. Right? Really roll it out. But the Fairhaven episodes might be like worse watches because I I guarantee you when we sit down we watch Threshold and we take that bitch apart it's actually gonna be fun for us because it's that kind of bad Fairhaven that's just a different kind of bad it's the joyless bad it's kind of bad that makes you wonder about what what we're doing with our hobby well. That's going to be our question for our hobby. It'll be a, a even more vicious question to ask for what all those people do with their careers. Um, I think we're pushing up on an hour here. I know we've got a couple other topics we wanted to discuss internally. I think we can very easily roll that in for our uh, our rip of season two once we hit the season mm -hmm. finale there. Um, anybody out in the uh, chat room got any uh, parting words or questions, comments, or things you want to see make their way on to uh, the air? Yeah, please let us know. Um, we certainly appreciate those of you that decided to join us live. And for those that will hear the replay, we actually have an episode ready, a normal episode ready for, for this week on Thursday. I'll, I'll end up posting this up to our podcast feeds as something special, as something extra. Um, we won't take a week off. We'll save that for when we're actually done with the season. Um, so don't worry. This wasn't done in lieu of an episode on Thursday. It was done as in addition. Uh, an extra. So uh, we appreciate you coming along. And if you have anything to add in our chat here, or if you have anything to that you want to add to uh, our VG Please Trauma Support Group, we always love to hear from you. We love the interaction. It makes doing the show fun. So please do. And let us know if you enjoyed this. If you did, you know, we'll try and squeeze in a few more. We, Peter and I are such nerds that we'll take any opportunity to talk about Star Trek in front of other people. I don't know what that says about us, but it's true. Says we're married and we don't have to worry about that dating game anymore. Yeah, it's great. It's, it's great. You know, it's awesome. I could drag my wife along with me and then she gets her revenge by telling me about all the fan fiction. That's yeah, that good. It's not I mean, good I guess it's all. better in Vulcans than like a Talaxian. Don't give her any ideas. She's listening, dude. Ugh. Shut your fucking mouth. Speaking of Talaxians, we got a request to write the new Jack Neelix Bible. WWNJND. Uh, maybe we might have to uh, crowdsource that. We get a Google Doc up and and try and whittle it down to the most the most realist of real Talaxian Delta Quadrant survival tips. There you go. Yeah. I like that. And we can share one at the end of each episode, or like something new Jack Neelix would have done to improve the episode. There's, there's I, avenues here. We're gonna follow. <sighs> There's a lot of bad ways we can go with a new Jack Neelix decision tree in regards to things that's okay to date 
based on the fact he's got a two-year-old <laughs> relationship. I'm gonna go ahead and veto anything in there about uh, grass on the field and playing. All right, guys, we gotta we gotta keep this somewhat clean. And on that note, thank you for joining us for this VG Please live stream. We'll catch you next time. Peace. <laughs>